From WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR, this is Capital Notes, a podcast about Wisconsin politics and politicians. I'm Marty Michelson. Each week, I discuss noteworthy developments with J.R. Ross, editor of WISPolitics.com. Here's our latest conversation. Hey, J.R., Democrats at the state capitol introduced yet another marijuana bill last week. This one would decriminalize possession of smaller amounts of the drug, or 28 grams or less. Democrats say decriminalization would decrease racial disparities in the criminal justice system. This is the third bill regarding marijuana that's currently in the legislature. The other would legalize recreational marijuana, while another would legalize only medical marijuana. And like the others, as soon as Democrats introduced this latest bill, Republican State Senate Majority Leader Scott Fitzgerald said no. He says he's long opposed decriminalization and doubts Republicans will support it. So at this point, why are Democrats even bothering to introduce all these bills? Well, for one thing, that they believe in the issue. They also believe that it's popular. They will often point to uh, polls such as the Marquette University Law School poll, which has shown support for an approach that would include legalizing and then taxing marijuana, much like alcohol. Um, two, it's an issue that plays their base. And three, don't forget the racial disparity issue. Um, they kind of, the Democrats brought that up during the news conference last week about, look, there's a disparity in how this, this, uh, these penalties work. Um, it ends up penalizing the African-American community much more and leads to all kinds of other consequences that are not good. So this is something they feel like is needed to try and address some of those issues. So they're going to keep pushing it but until there is either a dramatic change in who's running the state legislature in terms of the Republican leadership uh, or uh, the opinion of Republicans in general. This bill is not going to go anywhere as long as Republicans are in charge. But it is, again, an issue that Democrats believe is popular and on their side. They continue to push it. Also last week, a date was set for the first debate between the three candidates for Wisconsin Supreme Court. Incumbent conservative Justice Daniel Kelly faces a challenge from Marquette Law Professor Ed Fallone and from Dane County Circuit Judge Jill Karofsky. Republicans support Kelly while Democrats back Fallone and Karofsky. The debate is set for later this month in Madison. The primary will be held in February and the top two will advance to the April general election. The court currently has a 5-2 to two conservative majority. What issues do you think will define this race? You know, it's hard to say right now. I mean, we have the traditional ones we hear all the time about um, judicial fairness, about the role of the courts, uh, about, you know, special interests, quote-unquote. You know, we hear all those things. The white say it's hard to know for sure right now it's going to dominate races because it might be played out in the midst of a battle for the Democratic nomination for president. Uh, don't forget that this race on the ballot the same day as the Democratic uh, presidential nominee or primary is in Wisconsin. There's also Republican primaries on the ballot that day, but so far we've not seen any signs that President Trump is going to have a serious Republican challenge. So all the focus right now is on will there still be a hot and heavy race among Democrats come April when the race hits Wisconsin? Because if there is, then you'd expect there's going to be a huge boost in turnout for Democrats and progressives. You would think, in theory, that would help Flona Karofsky, whoever gets through the primary, to face Kelly and put Kelly disadvantage. Because go back and look at the 2018 Supreme Court race. That one had a little bit higher than normal turnout. There was a perceived surge 
and conservative support for Brian Hagedorn, he got to about 606,000 votes, give or take. Well, in the 2016 presidential primary for, de- for pre- Democrats, there were a million votes cast. And so if you're looking at conservatives turning out at 600,000 and Democrats and liberals turning out a million, that's a big, big gap to try and close if you're a Republican to help Kelly. So can you find the resources, the ways to motivate people to turn them out the same as you would for a contested presidential primary? That's, that's tough to do. Um, that's what I'm watching. It really could come down to whether that race is still active. Now, if it's not, totally different story, because then traditionally the spring electorate in Wisconsin has been a little more Republican-leaning than Democratic-leaning. So that could benefit Kelly. But I just don't know and never try and predict right now here in November what is going to happen with that nomination for president on the Democratic side come April, because it, it could be still caught and bothered. It could be done. And finally, former House Speaker Paul Ryan has launched a new nonprofit organization that he says will be focused on fighting poverty and increasing economic opportunities. Ryan announced the launch of the American Idea Foundation last week. The foundation will be based in Ryan's hometown of Janesville. Yet he moved his family to Maryland this past summer, presumably so that his wife can be close to her sisters who live in the D.C. area. Other than the foundation, Ryan has joined the board of directors of Fox Corporation and the faculty of the University of Notre Dame. He seems to be taking a low profile and is not interested in politics anymore. Why do you think he's happy distancing himself? Uh, you know, he's always been an ideas guy. And this is this 501c3, we call it, is about ideas. Um, Ryan wants to use this to promote ideas about combating things like poverty. The question is going to be what kind of audience does he have with this? Because don't forget, you know, Ryan used to be part of a Republican Party that looked or that thought a lot like he did, right, about taxes and trade and, and those kinds of things. The party has shifted to where Donald Trump is, more of a protectionist approach sometimes. Uh, the tariffs, the things we've seen, the trade wars out of Trump, I mean, just much more of a populist approach to politics. Ryan's place there really isn't, isn't, isn't there anymore. So with this organization, he can push some ideas about his pet issues. He can go out there and be part of the discussion about things. Um, now, going forward, is he going to run for office again? You know, people I talk to have their doubts, um, unless something changes dramatically for Republicans, because, again, the party has shifted to where Trump is and away from where Ryan is. I'm not sure where Paul Ryan's place is anymore. In the Republican base, um, which is an interesting thing for a guy who was the vice president nominee just in 2012, but it's just a much different landscape. Um, don't forget, he's been critical of President Trump at times, which has not endeared himself to the GOP base. So for some folks I talked to, it's hard to see how Ryan mounts a campaign again for something because he's such, such a disconnect with where the party is. The flip side is, you know, Donald Trump will be gone someday, whether it's he loses in 2020 or he serves a second term. At some point, he will no longer be in public office. Then what? What, what will Republicans do then? Is there going to be a, a kind of a, a, a reexamination of where the party wants to be? Is it going to embrace the Trump approach and become more of this populist party for good? Or will it snap back to where it was before, being one of the party of Paul Ryan and Mitt Romney to the Don Trump? That's for down the road. But Unless that examination happens, people just have our time seeing Paul Ryan having a fit and they run for public office again. That's WISPolitics.com editor J.R. Ross. 
You can join us each week for our conversations. And if you haven't done so already, subscribe to Capital Notes on iTunes, NPR One, or wherever you get your podcasts.